0: A very warm welcome to all of you to Ayurvedic Healing & Beyond Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Vignesh Devraj. In this episode, we have Megan Maitland, a biomedical naturopath who specializes in women's health. Here, we discuss the anatomy of bloating and understand when it points out a deeper problem. Megan also shares her insight on one of the most common causes of chronic bloating, which is SIBO. This stands for Small Intestinal Bacterial Overgrowth, a condition where there is an overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine, which is self-explanatory. We also discuss the diagnostic criteria, treatment plan and recovery time for SIBO. Hope you enjoy this podcast. And now we go over to Megan. Hello, Megan. Finally, happy to have you back in my podcast. It's fantastic. I mean, our previous episode was such a... I mean, many people wanted to have more conversations with you and ask you about things. And today, I'm so curious to talk about bloating and being a naturopath and the kind of content that you put out and the kind of testimonials that you put from your patients. I'm so excited to know because bloating is a big issue today. And first of all, thank you for being coming back again. It's an honor to have you back.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's great to chat again.
0: So Megan, Let's talk about bloating. I mean, this is a major issue today. And people sometimes, you know, you see that people when they get anxious, they get bloating. And when they get into that anxiety mode and they get bloating, and suddenly if they eat something or if they overeat or if they eat fast and they get bloating, and the moment they get bloated, the anxiety will kick in. <laughs> so this is like a chicken or egg kind of a yes, thing. Yes. But that's right. let's just talk about the the anatomy of bloating. <laughs> what creates yeah, bloating? Look-
1: bloating is such a such a fickle symptom <laughs> I'll first say that some degree of bloating is kind of normal as well Mm -hmm. you know particularly for women around their menstrual cycles you know we aren't meant to have a completely flat stomach throughout our menstrual cycles particularly when we are on our period and then particularly maybe through ovulation and then maybe also then through our luteal phase you know with that excess um, in estrogen that often goes along hand in hand in that cycle so our stomach you know particularly for women of those reproductive years you know can go up and down but but when the bloating can then become problematic is if you then have an underlying gut condition, or as you mentioned before, when we're super stressed, right? You know, if we're eating, standing up, shoveling food down very quickly, then the blood shunts from our digestive system to then go into our blood cells and also into our heart and our muscles to prep and prime us to, you know, in terms of cortisol, how cortisol is you still seen as today, but in terms of how evolution our body uses cortisol is, cortisol would go out, it goes, cool, okay, I'm the stress hormone, I need you to then run from saber tooth tiger or whatever it or have a war with our tribe. And then those cortisol will be then, you know, you'll get all that dump of um, sugar into the bloodstream, cool, heart's pounding, eyes are super focused, muscles are really ready to kind of run. But we now eat in that same state rather than sitting down, having a meal, Feeling really calm and relaxed. And because we're in that sympathetic nervous system um, space, we are revving up our system. And so that isn't a good space to be in to support optimal digestion because, again, that blood is then prioritized to other bodily organs rather than to the digestive system, which we really need to be in a parasympathetic nervous system. Often people associate or know that term rest and digest, Mm -hmm. whereas, you know, fight and flight, right? You know, that fight and flight is that sympathetic nervous system, whereas that parasympathetic nervous system is at rest and digest we need to sit down consume a meal relax enjoy that meal chewing you know oftentimes people will be shoveling food as quickly as possible into their mouth we need to be chewing our food adequately so then when it does hit the stomach that stomach is then able to break down that food properly and then goes into small intestine absorption large intestine that's where we make all the poop and lovely stuff then outside of that, we also have gut conditions, right? And I know I talk a lot about that on my Instagram, particularly SIBO is a big one. You know, oftentimes women will come and report that they just bloat with anything. doesn't really matter. They'll drink water, they bloat. They might have a salad, they bloat. They will have anything and it doesn't really seem to um, be able to follow a pattern in terms of their bloating. SIBO is a condition whereby it's called SIBO stands for, I'll take it back a few steps, SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. This is when we have bacteria in the small intestine. So the small intestine should have virtually no bacteria. This is kind of not a bacteria-free place, but virtually a bacteria-free place. And when you have SIBO, rather than that food being absorbed and digested within the small intestine, because that is where nutrient absorption happens, you now have bacteria there munching and crunching on food instead. And so when they munch and crunch on their food, they produce a gas, that either being a hydrogen positive gas or a methane positive gas. And for some women, they um, produce a combination of both of the gases. And so when they're eating on that food, you'll eat something Bugs go crazy. They're like super happy that you're eating. And then they're producing this gas, which is often then seen for us, particularly as bloating. There are also a lot of other symptoms that go along with SIBO, multiple food sensitivities, because within the small intestine, when you have SIBO, it creates a lot of inflammation. You'll also have that um, maldigestion and malabsorption happening. And so you often get food putrefaction happening in there because you're not actually properly absorbing it because that brush border enzyme within the actual gut layer has been compromised due to that inflammation. Um, happening in the small intestine as a result of that SIBO so then you get all that undigested food that then gets dumped into the small um, into the large intestine and often then that can create that multiple um, you know gut dysbiosis further down the track as well so it can be often um, you know it might start with SIBO there but then it can certainly go on to then worsen other conditions as well
0: Oh, so, when a patient comes to you, says complaints about bloating, one of the, I, I assume the first uh, questions that you're going to ask them is, how is your eating pattern? Do you eat fast? Do you eat quickly? Do you eat standing up? Do you eat on a rush?
1: Yes. So Yeah.
0: So, when they say yes, And you say you have to change that. They'll be quite disappointed. I thought you're going to give me a pill and you're going to tell me to change that. No, right.
1: It's like the, it's the old saying. I think I did a reel on it. It was like my doctor prescribed exercise and they're like, I just want that in a chewable. Like, I don't really want to do that, right? I just want something that's quick and easy. Um, But it's always, and look, you know, I do a lot of testing in my practice and I love testing. You know, I, I really I relish in it and like really quite enjoy it. But it's always important to go back to basics, you know, mm-hmm. just do the basics then come back to me in a month. And then if you're still saying to me, okay, we've made these kind of initial changes that being okay, we're being more mindful when we're eating. Another really great chip is having, not drinking water when you're consuming food. So that can reduce stomach acid because it dilutes the stomach acid. So that can be really helpful for a lot of people not drinking a lot of water with their meal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as I said, just being mindful when eating, sitting down to have a meal and consciously um, you know, eating as well. And if they do come back to me within that month and they're still reacting, still having, you know, bloating and, you know, particularly alongside that bloating, there is usual other, you know, digestive symptoms like constipation and diarrhea usually go hand in hand with that. And then I will then often go and do that SIBO test. I would say if you do have IBS, 80% of people who have IBS often have SIBO and even rosacea has now been linked to it, I think think it is almost around that 60, 70% of people who have rosacea also have SIBO. So oftentimes skin conditions can be linked in with that. But mm-hmm. certainly um, if that bloating isn't improving with sort of, you know, some general lifestyle strategies, obviously eliminating those trigger foods, which can be really problematic for people. Um, if that's not working, then of course, I then go deeper and have a little investigation. I would say most people who I test for SIBO, I reckon 90% of my clients have SIBO at some point.
0: So how would we diagnose SIBO? Uh, it's really that, easy. blood test
1: yeah it's really easy to diagnose so um most functional practitioners can do it these days we have access to really great testing uh it's through a breath test so the one that i particularly use it's through sibotest.com i think they post all over the world from what I remember. They send you out a kit, you consume a lactulose solution, which Mm -hmm. then provides fuel for the bacteria to consume. And then you blow into a bag every 20 minutes Mm -hmm. to see if you're releasing that gas, that being either that hydrogen positive gas that I spoke about or either a methane positive gas. And then when you get the result back, it is then just plotted nicely along a graph to then demonstrate whether or not you are making those gases over that three hour time period. But very easy to get. As I said, GPs I know here in Australia can request it, but I do know mostly most of the like naturopaths, nutritionists, functional medicine doctors as well are more than um, equipped to request that test as well.
0: Fantastic. And if it comes positive, is it change of medications? Uh, I mean, change of diet? Uh, what else would you, how would be the protocol be? Is it mostly supplements that you?
1: It's a combination. So there was, so a long time ago, and I I feel like it is still to some degree out there. So the SIBO diet is put forward as a really great treatment option for people in terms of diet. And it is, it's a great It is a great diet in the sense that it is very effective for reducing symptoms for a lot of people because you were reducing the fermentable carbohydrates in a diet so then you are removing the food source for the bacteria and so they no longer go in and are super happy and are munching and crunching and producing gases and so you do get a lot of symptom relief. What we have now found is that when you do these diets in conjunction with doing antimicrobials or antibiotics then it is less effective at killing off the SIBO because what we've found is that the bacteria don't necessarily die they just it's like a bear in hibernation they're Mm. there still but they're like we're just gonna wait basically until you six months (laughs) later and a lot and a lot of clients report that they say I went on a SIBO diet I felt great you know and I did this diet for six months I felt amazing and then I thought okay I'm going to just start you know trying some foods they might initially feel okay but then as soon as they kind of go back to you know sort of their original diet and this is no by by no means like junky foods takeaway it's more just those salads onions garlics legumes those things that are trigger foods they're all the symptoms come back because it actually hasn't been fixed if that makes sense Mm -hmm. it's just kind of like they're just weight
0: underlaying
1: yes exactly so they've now found in research when they do treatment for SIBO, and i do it in all of my protocols is they add in something a something called a prebiotic fiber so that Mm -hmm. actually forces the bacteria to grow and so that is recommended it's shown to be 80 percent more effective when you go and do a, like an antimicrobial treatment or the most of the research is actually done an antibiotic so the antibiotic alongside a prebiotic fiber like phgg which is called partially hydrolyzed gum, has been 80 percent more effective than just doing the antibiotic alone mm-hmm. and so i have found it much more effective in my practice so although i don't follow the SIBO diet specifically anymore i do have a regime of just general good healthy eating to mm-hmm. promote good health bowel, bowel function but i don't necessarily lean towards doing the SIBO diet because now we are finding with the evidence that it is not as effective when actually kind of what when we are trying to actually be effective in killing off SIBO and a lot of clients talk about the uh it's very hard and difficult to kill off um because a lot of clients will come to me they've been on a SIBO diet for two years and it's they're still in that space of you know reoccurring SIBO all the time and it can be really tricky for a lot of people to get off. So I will often not do the SIBO diet. But as I said, you know general you know diet restrictions are very good to do, but I don't necessarily do that SIBO diet. And then I do supplements on top of that. So um, depending on what I find, whether that be hydrogen positive gas or methane positive gas, with methane positive gas. Uh, Garlic is really indicated. Hydrogen positive gas, um, berberine is the one that is used. And then for both of them, I use definitely a combination of thyme, pomegranate and horopito. is very helpful too, cinnamon in some cases for some um, people. And then I use the PHGG. So that's that partially hydrolyzed guagam that I was talking about. And then on top of that, I'll give like a biofilm buster to like break apart, um, you know, the films that cover the bacteria to make it more effective in killing it off. And then just some really nice general gut support and some binders in there too, just to kind of help with that diet with some clients, find it a little bit too much going on all those antimicrobials, it can be a little bit hard on their gut, so I add in all those binders as well.
0: Wow. I mean, in, uh, I mean, I could connect the dots in my practice when you're talking mm. about garlic and uh, pomegranate and the burberry. In Ayurveda, when somebody comes with bloating, we always underestimate, not underestimate, like a, by default thinking, it, there's a Sanskrit word called krimi. Krimi means worms. Technically, yes. it means worms, but
1: yes. uh,
0: worms in ancient language, they also call the bacteria that is not uh, aligned with our body as mm. uh, worms. So every time that happens, we have a combination which has garlic, mm. basil leaves, pomegranate, yes. uh, and also some asophetida. These are like mm. quite strong anti-worm uh, stuff. And so I'm just correlating what you mentioned. It just fits mm. in that uh, whole concept. But what creates the SIBO in the first place?
1: Here's the thing. So with SIBO, there are many causes of SIBO. So oftentimes, and look, uh, in terms of the women I see, I obviously run a, you know, women who uh, come to me for a lot of hormonal complaints, the pill is a big disruptor of SIBO. You mean the
0: contraceptive pill?
1: the contraceptive pill uh ppi so nexium you know somac those sorts of things because it's reducing stomach acid so they are well linked to SIBO as well
0: oh, they're probably the, the woman two women who are taking this please listen to this again and again i'm going to keep it as a clip and keep putting it repeat
1: <laughs> totally i know <laughs> yes. i just i just had a woman yesterday who came and saw me um she was wonderful and she'd been on a ppi for over 12 years to heal stomach ulcers and it, it just completely do right and then ppi, to, to PPI protein sorry i should explain that Pot- proton pump inhibitor so it is there to stop stomach um production it is often used as a treatment for GERD or reflux indigestion things like, like that. acid
0: reflux and uh, or can you, reflux. can you also call it antacids or no
1: Oh, uh, antacid is different. The antacid, from what I understand here in Australia, is like Gaviscon. Mm-hmm. That's just basically it's providing a, a film. Yes. Yeah, it's just like a film. So you'll have the... Yeah, it's cooling. So you'll have like the stomach, right? And then the Gaviscon will literally be like a layer over it. So it stops the acid coming up. Whereas when you take a PPI, it is physically trying to reduce the acid that you're making in your stomach. So GAVASCON doesn't actually reduce the acid in your stomach. It's just providing that film to stop the acid reflux coming up mm-hmm. and out through your esophagus. So
0: that also creates this
1: Dysbiosis, absolutely. Because if you are trying to reduce stomach acid, if we think about our gut, we it starts in the mouth, we chew our food, comes down to into our stomach. If we aren't able to adequately break down our food because of low stomach acid, which oftentimes that is what is the cause of reflux, but that's another story for another day. Um, Oftentimes, if you then aren't able to break down that food properly. So what should happen when you break down your food in the stomach? It should you get a compound called. It's literally like this grey pasty thing that then goes into your, yeah, sludge, essentially it's sludge, right? Um, And then it goes into your small intestine. If you can't break it down to chyme, then that just sets you up for this continual dysbiosis and inflammation because mm. you've now got undigested food going in your small intestine, which creates maldigestion and malabsorption. It then further creates food putrefaction. So you've kind of got this like rotting, um, you know, food in your stomach now. That then goes into your large intestine and feeds and fuels the growth of your bad bacteria. So it really starts with good, healthy stomach acid as well. But certainly that is a major contributing factor and one that. I deal with a lot in my practice just because of the women that I see I know there are a lot of other causes of SIBO as well but those are kind of the main ones that I see in my practice
0: Mm. and anything with sugar alcohol coffee would you say this, this could also contribute or
1: I think they would definitely contribute to some extent again you know if you're having significant amounts of alcohol then yeah for sure we do know that uh there is research to support the changes in the microbiome without a doubt yes
0: and also when people consume alcohol their cravings will change and they will crave for those heavy stuff and that could also contribute to that
1: absolutely yes absolutely i agree with that
0: Hmm. And sometimes when when i take the history of patients and if it's a woman taking contraceptive pill and on top of that coffee addiction and alcohol and smoking and dreadful Yes, and I feel bloated <laughs> all the time. Yes, of course you will be. <laughs> be grateful you are bloated because your body is telling you something that you need to change.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, That's so spot
0: on. And uh, when it comes to emotions, I mean, we spoke about the emotional aspect, like the parasympathetic part. Mm. It is also contributing to this. Now the food aspects is also contributing to this. But mm. have you noticed in? menopause women also go through this uh, bloating or perimenopause stages
1: mm, in terms of the bloating yes menopause a perimenopause and menopause are a very interesting time for women both mm-hmm. reproductively and also then um you know uh, mentally as well mm-hmm. very much when you go through that many perimenopausal phase and you know i i wonder Your metabolism slows. We know in research that perimenopausal women and very much so um, menopausal women naturally um, increase their insulin sensitivity of resistance, sorry, not sensitivity. They become more insulin resistance because we become less um, sensitive to the call of estrogen. And this is just a result of aging. Oftentimes women will have higher triglycerides, high cholesterol, you know, higher, higher blood pressure as a result of that aging process and changes in those hormones as well. And then also with perimenopause, I often think about the role of estrogen, you know, particularly through that, you know, huge waves and ups and downs that estrogen, you know, often happens through that perimenopausal phase, whereby that can contribute certainly to that fluid retention that is, you know, um, and that might then be reflected in bloating for a lot of women as well. I
0: see. So, and also, you know, during the perimenopause menopause also because of the hormonal change sometimes women Mm -hmm. say that menopause is like the second puberty in her life Uh, and Mm -hmm. so like how a teenage could do tantrums teenager can do the tantrums this Mm -hmm. could also happen because they're still figuring out what is the shift going on and they're not able to figure out Absolutely. And, and on top of that if they have this anxiety coming up they would eat fast that could also contribute here i feel
1: Yes. Oh, absolutely. Look, there is a huge destabilization of the HBA axis, so that uh, pituitary axis act. I was, hang on, I will rephrase that, HPA axis in the brain. And when that becomes destabilized, that can lead to a whole myriad of complaints and ones that we are often associated with the, you know, typical symptoms um, that we associate with that perimenopause and menopause phase as well. And also that lack of progesterone, we then don't, um, you know, have that GABA um, initiation mm-hmm. anymore, particularly in that luteal phase. When we ovulate, we make progesterone and that's our Cool, calming um, hormone it makes us feel amazing and relaxed in our luteal phase and oftentimes when you're going through perimenopause you might skip a few months you know and so estrogen now it has like two months worth of being able to basically do whatever it wants and you're not getting any of that buffering effect I often call estrogen the teenager without parental control when it has no progesterone to keep it in check like estrogen's like cool I'm just gonna have a party for ages um, and that can be very much induced anxiety and insomnia and things like that because progesterone we do know it soothes our moods. It helps thyroid production. You know, it helps with sleep because of that, um, because of the ability to, of that progesterone to attach to GABA receptors and really soothe that brain.
0: That's a lot of information. So <laughs> yes. uh, if we give a key takeaways, how to deal with bloating, first is sit down and eat. And Start with the basics. Mind, start with the basics. Like one of my professors used to always say, if you are a mechanic, and if somebody comes with your mot- with a motorbike and says it's not running, don't go and remove the engine first. Just check if there is enough petrol, <laughs> of the, like, and then we will go into the next step.
1: Absolutely. I think okay. if you can do the basics and the most obvious things, I often call that low lying fruit, you know, the obvious things, you know. I know it, it can be very boring for people because it's the things that most people don't really want to do because they are the you know lifestyle habits that they actually have to change. But they can really provide a lot of uh relief for a lot of people and oftentimes it can fix the bloating, you know, not all the time, but it is always good to, as I said, take out the most obvious causes of something before you then go on to do that deeper work and deeper investigation.
0: And I think slowing down uh, in my practice, I mean, when I tell them, have you tried eating slow? Have you tried eating mindfully? Have you tried chewing your food? And also don't overeat, bring portion mm. control as much as possible. That itself could do a great extent. So I could completely connect with what you're mentioning. And this is just fantastic. This is, mm. The basics itself will solve a lot of issues. And then the next is understanding if you have SIBO and once mm. you know that doing uh, anti-SIBO, all the therapies that is required, be it with diet, be it with uh, the the medication that you recommend.
1: Mm. In When it
0: comes to diet, what are the basics that we should be careful with?
1: In terms of SIBO? Or, or yes, SIBO. yes, SIBO.
0: Yes, SIBO
1: it's really the fermentable carbohydrates so Mm. they're the ones that are most triggering so the most of the time people will describe reacting to onions garlics broccoli cabbage Brussels sprouts um a lot of those cruciferous vegetables they're the kind of main ones legumes chickpeas things like that so they're kind of the main ones but for women who have had you know particularly I see a lot of women who just now have they've now gone past that spectrum of just generalized sort of uh, maybe at the start that's what they started reacting to and then over time because the SIBOs continue to get worse and that brush border um, has continued to degrade they now have a reduced ability to pick up a lot of those um, you know fermentable carbohydrates in that gut lumen and so they just end up reacting to any food that goes into Mm -hmm. their stomach you know and oftentimes they won't be able to really pinpoint or when we do a food elimination or a food diary you know they'll report reacting to all sorts of different myriad of foods Um, and so sometimes that can be a a symptom of SIBO as well just multiple food sensitivities you know people often go to do these food intolerance tests a lot of the times and then they have to dwindle down the amount of food they're eating to like 10 bits of food because they can't eat anything else and so I'm always of the notion well why can't you eat that there has to be Mm -hmm. a reason we're not all pre-programmed to you know then have these issues and not be able to digest foods and so that's why i always like to do that deeper work particularly when you're getting into that very restrictive eating and i have lots of i've had lots of clients who have come to me you know they're eating like lettuce with like a bit of meat and then they might have a zucchini and a celery and that's pretty much all they can eat because they just react to everything else and oftentimes they have SIBO because there's just such compromisation of that brush border and lack of digestive enzymes there to help absorb that food for them
0: all right, so okay that's uh, i will have to note down this and put it on the show notes so people can go through that but,
1: that's fine i went on a bit of a tangent
0: there. Uh, it's a lot of wealth of information in here and then uh once you know that what will be the timeline to have a recovery from this if they are diagnosed with seba i mean i mean yes we do put this but sometimes it, does it people expect within two weeks or people expect within two days but what's the timeline that we can recommend to completely have a good recovery?
1: Yeah, so look, there is no timeline on it. So I do an initial uh, treatment of six weeks. That's kind Mm. of my initial, some people do eight. So, you know, kind of sitting to that six to eight week mark. On top of that though, and this, this goes for any really gut condition, except like maybe a parasite or Helicobacter pylori. When you have an imbalance within your gut microbiome, whether that be too much bad bacteria, you have SIBO, whatever, a six or eight week gut protocol, it's like a losing weight, right? It's not gonna mm-hmm. be fixed. So you'll feel a lot better in six weeks. And that's my hope is that once you do the six week or eight week protocol, is that a lot of your symptoms will reduce. And then you might get three months out of that protocol. So then you might come back to me in three months and say, okay, hey, I need to redo this at this point. And then you might get six months out of that next one. But the goal is over time is that you get further and further away from these rounds. I call them SIBO rounds whereby then you're able to completely then eradicate that SIBO because it won't completely eradicate after six or eight weeks. That's what I usually find. Most clients average about that three-month mark. Some clients come back to me sooner, but some clients come back to me later than that. So, But the goal is to get further and further away, and that goes the same with any gut dysbiosis. Anyone who does like a 12 week gut cleanse, it's not gonna fix your gut forever. You know, you need to keep working on it. You need to build your good bacteria army up. Otherwise you're gonna be left in the same situation you were 12 weeks ago. Yes, you might feel better for like three months, but if you're not building up that army, right? Your army are then not going to be able to keep the bad guys in check. That's essentially what it is. You've got to, the good guys need to outweigh the bad guys. But if you're not feeding those good guys religiously um, and that takes time, that's not in a 12 week gut protocol, as you know, right? Um, that takes time. And so um, the most important thing I can always tell my clients and educate them on is knowing that this is long-term, this isn't a short-term thing, particularly with anything gut-related.
0: Yeah, again, one of my teachers, he he specializes in treating patients with psoriasis and he would give them a very strict diet. So the patient, after going through that strict protocol, doctor, for how long should I practice this? Oh, for the rest of your life. <laughs> That's such <laughs> that's how it is
1: i know i know
0: that's fantastic megan i mean anything else you would like to add for people dealing with bloating
1: uh again coming back to the basics you know um having sauerkraut with foods apple cider vinegar can, can be really helpful as well you know those sorts of things before meals you know as i said just kind of ruling out any major issues uh No, I won't. I won't speak about that. I have had a few clients um, who have done really well on different types of diets. But again, it comes down to the testing. I've done the testing and we've gone, okay, there is something here where we need to eliminate it. And then that has been extremely helpful for them with their diet and with also their bloating as well. But as I said, basics, you know, as I said, you could add in a little bit of ginger capsules are very helpful too. Sauerkraut, um, you know, the apple cider vinegar too can be very, very helpful for women as well. And then all else fails, then it goes on to that sego testing.
0: Fantastic. Have you ever experimented with fennel seeds?
1: Fennel seed is amazing, yes. Oh, absolutely.
0: Because yeah, in Iweather, yeah, we great. use fennel seeds and they would say, Oh, fennel seeds. I make the tea with fennel seeds and I feel like my whole gas and my body and brain is gone. It basically <laughs>
1: just like pops them all out, right? Exactly. It, like it just expels all of it. It's amazing. Fennel is fabulous. Mm.
0: Thank you so much, Megan. It was, as again, a lot of enlightening wisdom that you always share. And uh, how can people reach out to you for consultations with you?
1: Uh, If they would like to speak with me and chat with me and work with me one-on-one, I um, am, am known as the biomedical naturopath on Instagram.
0: And please do follow her page. It's full of fantastic wisdom and practical insights. And she makes such difficult concepts as simplified as possible to anyone to understand. So thank Thank you, you, Megan, for all the work that you're putting.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me again.
0: Thank you. If you want to do a one-on-one online consultation with me to enhance your overall health, vitality and well-being through Ayurveda and holistic approach, do check the details in the show notes of this podcast or visit Devraj.com for scheduling a consultation with me. Thank you for listening to Ayurvedic Healing and Beyond. If you loved and enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, share and review us. This helps to spread our mission of guiding humanity to becoming their healthiest self and also giving the right resources for holistic healing. If you wish to know more about my work, please do visit www.vigneshdevraj.com. and if you are interested in doing an Ayurveda treatment or authentic Panchakarma therapy, please log on to www.sitaramretreat.com.